every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis. Welcome to Money Talk for the final day this week, Friday the 7th of July. There are several places where you can find this show. Look for Peter Lewis's Money Talk on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, where we're one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong. You can go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, or you'll also find my daily newsletter. On Facebook, I'm Peter Lewis Money Talk, and on Twitter, at MoneyTalkR3. And as of today, I'm also on threads at Peter Lewis Money Talk. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, the US gained 497,000 private sector jobs last month, roughly double economists' expectations and the biggest gain in more than a year. Following the data, Laurie Logan, president of the Dallas Fed, called for an immediate resumption of rate rises. She warned if we lose ground in our effort to restore price stability, we'll need to do more later to catch up. Premier Li Chang pledged to spare no time in implementing targeted policies to strengthen the Chinese economy's recovery from the pandemic. According to state-run CCTV, he said at a seminar Thursday that China is at a critical stage of economic recovery and industrial upgrading. He was quoted as saying that a slew of targeted, comprehensive and well-coordinated measures must be implemented quickly to stabilise growth and employment while preventing risks. But he didn't elaborate on what those measures might be. The Biden administration said on Thursday that it firmly opposes Beijing's new restrictions on the export of germanium and gallium, metals that are vital in semiconductors, 5G base stations and solar panels. The US Commerce Department said these actions underscore the need to diversify supply chains, adding that Washington would engage with our allies and partners to address this and to build resilience in critical supply chains. 30 million users, including me, have signed up to Meta's new Twitter rival Threads on its first day of launch, according to Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Meta describes Threads, which is linked to Instagram, as a text-based conversation app on which people can post text and links and reply to or repost messages from others, and it has many features similar to Twitter. On today's program, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Lashar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. And with a view from Australia, it's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Staten Partners. Investors sold stocks and bonds across the world Thursday after data showed the biggest gain in private jobs in the US in more than a year and the Fed signaled more interest rate rises to come. On Wall Street, the S&P 500 and the Dow saw their worst daily performance since May. The S&P 500 lost 0.8% to end at 4,411. All 11 sectors of the S&P 500 closed in the red. The Dow dropped 366 points, or 1.1%, to close at 33,922. The Nasdaq Composite fell 0.8% to 13,679. Small caps were the worst hit, with the Russell 2000 index sinking 1.6%. The VIX Volatility Index jumped almost 9% to 15.44, as investors worried that higher interest rates will eventually sink the global economy. Bank stocks slipped in response to higher bond yields. The KBW Nasdaq Bank Index fell 1.6%. 
And US borrowing costs touched a 16-year high as the strong jobs figures intensified expectations of further rate rises by the Federal Reserve. The yield on the two-year US Treasury note, which is particularly sensitive to interest rate expectations, reached its highest level since 2007. At one stage, it hit 5.12% before closing five basis points higher at 5%. The 10-year yield jumped 11 basis points to 4.04% after reaching 4.08% at the high of the day. Hong Kong stocks plunged by the most in four months following the release of the Fed minutes, indicating at least two more interest rate rises. The Hang Seng Index tumbled 577 points, or 3%, to 18,533 in the worst sell-off since March the 10th. Financials led the declines after it was revealed that Chinese banks have stopped buying bonds issued in the Shanghai Free Trade Zone due to heightened regulatory scrutiny in a development that hurts local government financing vehicles' ability to raise money. The Hang Seng sub-index of banking stocks slumped 4.8%. That's the most since May 2020. Meanwhile, in mainland China, the Shanghai Composite slipped half a percent to 3,206. And we're expecting stocks in Japan and Hong Kong to open lower this morning. For the Hang Seng, futures markets are pointing to a loss of 150 points. That's 0.8%. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. It's Friday morning, and I know that because I can see sitting right opposite me, Francis Lund, the CEO <laughs> of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Hi, good morning, everyone. And joining us this Friday morning, the Shah, Asia Chief Economist from BBVA. Morning, Shark. Good morning, Peter. Well, let's start with that uh, U.S. data because it's quite stunning. The U.S. gained 497,000 private sector jobs last month. That's roughly double what economists were expecting. It's also the biggest rise in more than a year, according to data from ADP Research Institute. Thursday's data showed big increases in the hospitality and leisure sectors, as well as in construction and transportation. Now, tomorrow... In contrast with the ADP figures, we get the government's official jobs data, and that's expected to show that hiring growth slowed in June. Economists are forecasting that the US added 200,000 jobs last month. That's down from 339,000 in May. Mm-hmm. However, the median forecast has underestimated jobs data now for 14 consecutive months. So France is <laughs> probably going to do it again, aren't they? Because yeah, this is an incredible run of uh, job gains. Definitely. I think the economists that the statisticians got it all wrong. They underestimated the growth, uh, the strength of the economy, especially like uh, if you talk about hospitality, hospitalities, sector, it means people are taking more vacations, going out and spending money. So uh, 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 the recession will never happen this year. <laughs> Why are economists missing this? What, is, is there something wrong with their models or has the nature of the economy changed? Yeah, what, definitely. I, I, I think they're missing a lot of things in, in the calculation. They, they just haven't done anything right. Uh, let's see what, what, what Shalom <laughs> Well, we have an economist with us. Not that we're pointing fingers at you, Shalom, but nevertheless, come on, tell us what's gone wrong. <laughs> I, I'm not covering a US economy. Oh, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's a get out, yeah. That, that's good we'll get to China in a moment, though. <laughs> but it is true that uh, if you look at uh, the job market in uh, United States, I'm afraid that uh, uh, people, they have some kind of a preference 
change after this uh, uh, pandemic. So their attitude about work is uh, different from uh, before. So that's why uh, many of these uh, parameters in the models are no longer function. So they, mm-hmm. that, that means the economists one day try to estimate the market situation. Uh, I think that they need to refigure something. Yeah, I, I'm afraid that's why they underestimate the uh, job market situation. Uh, but frankly, uh, I have to say that uh, now the United States, uh, the, it's, uh, the, the economy of the United States is overheating. So you have a, such a tight job market. We mm-hmm. haven't seen that for many, many years. Mm. So that's why I worry this uh, in future, this uh, tight market, uh, uh, job market situation will become the mo- main driver of the inflation. What's interesting is there was also some other data from the U.S. Labor Department, what's known as the JOLT survey, which shows you job openings and also how many people are quitting their jobs. What is interesting is that uh, the number of people quitting their jobs increased by a quarter of a million to four million, (laughs) the highest in nine months. Now, that's an unusual situation, isn't it, where people just voluntarily keep on month after month giving up their job. And it also tends to suggest that they're actually quite confident that they can get a job when they when they want one. Uh, I think part of it has to do with the uh, KOL economy. People can uh, uh, act on the, uh, Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever, TikTok, and, and then if you build up an audience of about one million people, you can make money from it. So mm. people, people are doing, uh, be, becoming their own self-employers already. So, so that's why uh, people don't want to get tied down to a job and then have to conform to the company policy and things like that. And also more people are trading in the markets as well, mm, aren't they? Right, that that, that seems right. to be another reason why people mm. don't want to go back to their, to their old job. Mm-hmm. But it is, Shark, isn't it? It is a new feature of the economy. This, and maybe this is one of the reasons why, not just economists, but the Fed as well is sort of is, is missing um, the, the trends in the job market because there's no doubt it's an incredibly tight labor market there. Uh, yes, of course. And now, uh, this uh, social media, they provide more channels for people to work and make money from them. Uh, at the same time, as you said, maybe now people, they are interested in trading to get some money. Uh, and that's why we have such a tight labor market situation. But the problem is, uh, uh, this one is uh, cyclical, right? Now, because uh, we have a tight market situation, so that's why people don't afraid of lose jobs mm-hmm. because they are confident that they can easily find a new one. Mm-hmm. But the problem is uh, if one day we successfully uh, control the inflation at the cost of the economic growth, and then you will find the economy cannot create that, ma- that many jobs. Mm-hmm. And then the things will be reversed. So mm-hmm. let's see. I-, I have to say that after pandemic, everything looks new, okay? Mm-hmm. But eventually, let's say what's going to happen. And remember, now the artificial intelligence, they develop very, very fast. Maybe in future, we don't need that many people to do work. out of work already. <laughs> but the thing is, this is linked to the economy overall, isn't it? And also yeah. to the, the forecast for inflation. So mm. th- there's really no sign of a recession yet, is there? The, the bond markets have been predicting it for a year. Economists mm. have been talking about a recession, but it's hard to see how a recession can come where there's uh, this many people, um, you know, still still working or not not happy to quit their jobs. Yeah, you, when you have uh, uh, an employment rate of three point five or three point six percent, it shows uh, for the US at least it, it is. Uh, 
called full employment because people have mm-hmm. no difficulty finding a job. I think uh, I think last year some of the big techs fire fire some people, but I think the uh, the stack have been picked up by the service sector and uh, and the hospitality sector and, and other people. So I think uh, American economy is doing much better than the, the uh, go- government believes. So the the key thing is, what does this mean for the Fed? Well, I think uh, Laurie Logan, president of the Dallas Fed, has just told us she called for an immediate resumption of rate rises. <laughs> she said if we lose ground in our effort to restore price stability, we'll need to do more later to catch up, she warned. And she said we've had already had a fair amount of time to see the overall effects of monetary tightening. So I think, Shark, there's not going to be a pause this month, is there? We've had the one-month pause. It's back to rate hikes. Uh, yes, so we do expect uh, this month they are going to hike interest rate by 25 basis point. And now, according to current situation, if you look at this uh, labor market situation, I'm, I'm free that they are going to hike interest rate again in September, mm-hmm. so after this uh, summer uh, pause. Um, but come back to the uh, previous topic. You don't think uh, we are going to see the recession? I, I really doubt about this one. <laughs> okay, really? because you, uh, you think we will? No, I think I, I have the impression that now people they receive uh, so many information every day and they easily put some things behind. For example, remember three months ago we worried about this uh, regional banks crisis in the United mm. States, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at things from a longer horizon, you will know that. Uh, we always have this business cycle. Maybe. And that's always already forgotten about, really, isn't it? That banking crisis. We don't talk about it anymore now. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that means uh, in future, maybe some other uh, crises, uh, uh, bad things will, will pump up. Okay, <laughs> I expected it, right? Well, people are talking about commercial real estate. So that yeah, that could yeah. be the next thing yes, that could yeah, be definitely. the big crisis. Yeah. Yeah, so but they already happened in China, commercial real estate. It's a disaster. Yeah. It's a disaster on the yeah, mainland, de- isn't definitely. it? Definitely. Yeah. So, so as an economist, I I always believe this uh, business cycle theories. I think uh, you cannot expect uh, this uh, recession will no longer come come back. But so this is a long careful. business cycle, though, isn't it? It's a very long mm. business yeah, cycle. Yeah, maybe it takes a few years to, to materialize the mm-hmm. next uh, recession. Um, now everything looks looks great, uh, but you never know. So interest rates at 5% now, that's where the Fed funds rate is at 5%, hasn't tipped the US economy into recession. Clearly, the (laughs) Fed wants to slow the economy. What has it got to get rates to, to try and slow this economy? Well, you're you're wondering the risk of putting uh, the the world into recession. Already in Hong Kong, you have some uh, feeling of recession already. Employment is down, and and in China too, you have young people not being able to find work, and uh, the renminbi falling sharply, and and uh, and the stock market is not really doing very poorly. You you have the IPO market completely drying out, and you have investment bankers with nothing to do. <laughs> That's, a <shame. laughs> That's a shame. Yeah, I think this talk reminds me that uh, after financial crisis, uh, Ben Bernanke decided to do these uh, QE things. Uh, he, he told people that as long as we keep this uh, low interest rate or very interest rate longer enough, then we will have the growth back. And now I think that 
if you want to have a recession, you just keep this high interest rate long yeah. enough. Maybe five percent, not enough. Maybe six percent. One year is not enough, and keep the one half year. Then well, I think eventually we'll see the growth slow down. What about twenty percent, nineteen eighties? We don't want that, do we? We don't want that. But but this is, I suppose, for Hong Kong. I mean, as we spoke about on Wednesday's show with John Greenwood, we have no choice but to import U.S. monetary policy, and it's yeah. not appropriate for the state of the Hong Kong economy at the moment, is it? So this is sort of one of the economic consequences if yeah, you like of, yeah, of the peg what what happens you you, you uh, the high interest rate is causing a slump in the property market people cannot afford to to pay off their mortgages now uh, interest expense have really doubled over the past year and it's going up yeah. again and, uh, and for the ordinary people they really have problem uh, servicing their mortgages, and, and, and it's going to hurt. Mm, mm. What about the markets? It seems like U.S. stock investors have finally started to realize that interest rates are going to go up further. I think bond mm-hmm. markets have known it for a while, mm-hmm. but stocks, they've really ignored everything that's been thrown at them this year, including high interest rates, including what you mentioned, Shark, the, uh, the banking crisis, um, the geopolitical problems. They've mm-hmm. just shrugged it all off, but we seem to be getting signs in recent days that maybe they're starting to take notice. Yeah, I think the, now they realize that this interest rate hike will continue. That's uh, definitely always the bad news for, for the market. Uh, so that's why I think that you cannot expect that this good performance in the market, in the economy will continue forever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because of this is business cycle. Mm-hmm. So if they hike interest rate to maybe 6%, now we expect they hike interest rate may 5.5%. Yeah, but if they raise higher, I, I think the market will have more correction. Mm. Well, if you look at US bond yields, the two-year treasury note is now at its highest level since 2007. Uh, it hit 5.12% earlier today, yeah. currently at 5%. If you can get a yield of 5%, uh, risk-free yield, why would you invest in, in stocks? Yeah, that's that. Definitely, but but the U.S. market is still humming along. Is uh, only we only had the correction yesterday, but 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 last night we have a crash in the European markets, mm. like uh, DAX and uh, CAC and uh, FTSE. They lost more than two percent. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I I I think I think the recession warning is uh, alarm has sounded in the, in Europe already. Well, they're, they're talking about now of um, interest rates in the UK going to 6.5% at their oh. terminal rate. So, but the UK is really a bit of a disaster zone at the moment in terms of inflation. What about the Hong Kong markets? Hong Kong stocks plunged the most in four months yesterday after those Fed minutes. The Hang Seng down 3% now, uh, 3% yesterday to 18,533. Um, a big hit was taken by the financials after Chinese banks uh, said they were going to stop buying bonds in the Shanghai Free Trade Zone. This is a, another sign of how difficult it's going to be for local governments to finance themselves, isn't it? Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, uh, I think for Hong Kong market, there's three big bad news. Uh, mm. One from United States. Now they are going to hike interest rate more, as mm-hmm. we discussed. Uh, the second one from China. I think uh, uh, this uh, related to the banking sector because the banking sector, they have a very big exposure to the local government debt. Uh, mm-hmm. problem. And the last one, I think uh, recently, many people in the Hong Kong market, they were expecting very big stimulus 
mm-hmm. for Chinese economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not coming. Uh, recently, it? from the officials, the signals it uh, seems that they are going to be, be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disappointed. I think you can. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think the Hang Seng Index will fall below eighteen thousand. Really? Well, where really? do you think is the, the the bottom? I mean, I know it's very hard to do this, <laughs> but you know, is there is there a lot more downside on the Hang Seng? Is there a lot more disappointment that can that can sort yeah. of come in? Yeah, I, I, I think the index can, Hang index can fall to at least seventeen thousand. Right. Yeah. If if the government doesn't act soon, it might fall to sixteen thousand. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. Right. So, how much are the geopolitical problems uh, also weighing on the um, on the uh, the, uh, the the markets? I think that for these uh, geopolitical things, uh, people tend to accept their ones as a part of our life. Okay, mm. yeah. so before one, they have these uh, news sanctions, uh, Chinese fighting back, and people they make very strong reactions. But now I I have the sense that people take it as a they shrug their shoulders yeah, yeah, and say, okay, yeah, another okay. sanction. Of course, that have the impact on uh, the the stocks. But in this sector, for example, now mm. China they impose this uh, mm-hmm. export control on yeah. some mm-hmm. metals, and then the mm-hmm. metal sectors they continue uh, they, they they start to react. But for other ones, I really don't think these kind of uh, export control things have a very big impact. It's, it's a dangerous one. position yeah. to be in, isn't it? Where sanctions now, we just shrug our shoulders and think of it as a, as a normal state of affairs. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not a normal state of affairs at all. But yeah, that's not good at all. Uh, yeah. I think uh, American policymakers want to stop the uh, uh, economic rise of China because they don't want to see uh, China to be to grow, to rival the U.S. Now, Anthony Blinken denies that. He says it's not about trying to stop the economic development of China, but you say that is really what's behind that, it. That's, that's what American policy shows. They mm. want to stop the growth of China economically mm. uh, because uh, go hand in hand with uh, economic power is military power. Right now, U.S. is the only super uh, power in, mil- in, in the military sense. They don't want a China who they can rival the, the, uh, the Americans. Isn't, the, isn't, that what, isn't that more what the Americans are focused on than, rather than trying to stop um, yeah. China's economic advance? It wants yeah. to stop its military advance because it's afraid that China will use American yeah. technology against it, basically put all these chips into weapons and yeah, missiles. Yeah, but the problem is the two are linked, I suppose, aren't they, as well? Yeah, definitely. China already has more warships than America. China has more than 550 more uh, warships already. Uh, mm. What it really lacks is uh, aircraft carriers. It only has three, but uh, they are really outdated. <laughs> mm. So what can Janet Yellen do? She's arrived um, in China yesterday for a four-day visit. Her goal is to find some areas of, of common economic ground, also hoping that she'll rebuild at least the communications between the two countries. Can we expect anything from this? What areas of common economic ground can they discuss and agree on? Uh, although I think uh, many people, they are not very uh, interested in Janet Yellen visit, but personally, I still have some hopes for them one. Uh, I think both sides, they have the willingness uh, to stabilize their relation, especially for this economic relation. Many people said, okay, the United States uh, uh, and China, they will continue to compete. That's true. But I think that Janet Yellen's mission, they at least uh, she can 
talk to Chinese officials to make sure this kind of competition only confined to some specific sector, for example, high-tech sector, mm-hmm. the cheap sector. But as we know that the United States still have a lot of investment in China. If mm-hmm. you look at the stock uh, uh, numbers. Apple. They, yeah, they, I think the, Tesla. for example, Tesla, uh, <laughs> Apple, uh, aggregately, I think, think they have a more than 200 billion U.S. dollar investment in China. So, right. so, so who's going to take care of their interest, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the Janet Yellen, she's uh, coming here to, to stabilize the relation, to make sure, okay, we have this uh, competition in these uh, chips, but we just uh, focus on these chips. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, do the normal business in other areas. China, you need to open your market. Maybe you shouldn't uh, intervene in your FX uh, market, mm-hmm. right? And they also have a lot of other topics like uh, the debt relief for this emerging market. They have mm-hmm. a lot of uh, common topics to explore. The problem is that the big topics are not really in Janet Yellen's area, are they? So these trade sanctions, that's really for the Commerce Secretary to sort out. Taiwan's not her remit either. So some of the biggest... But you mentioned one thing that I thought was interesting, currency. Um, The US hasn't... uh, They've got China on the watch list, haven't they? But they haven't described them as a currency manipulator. (laughs) But the the yuan is down 5% so far. Uh, uh, this year. Do you think that's going to be high on the agenda, discussing uh, the, the, the currency? No, I don't think so. I think U.S. interest rate is rather high on the agenda because uh, uh, U.S. interest rates are so high now, it causes distortion uh, around the globe. You have a rumor before to, well, maybe we, we, it will be a, a par with Hong Kong dollar by the end of the year. But uh, 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 for for investors, it's really not very good because uh, uh, global investors will not invest in Chinese stocks if the currencies keep falling, mm. and that's not very good. <laughs> but what can be done about that? Because you know, obviously, this is the the remit of the Fed; they are yeah. independent of the government, and they can't decide monetary policy to suit China. They've got to decide <laughs> monetary policy to suit the U.S. And, yeah, and if you that, could argue that U.S. Mm, interest rates are still too low at the moment. That is the problem. I think. Yeah, definitely. I think they were discussed about this one because uh, a few uh, weeks ago, I remember some people raised this issue that the United States, they consider to list China as this uh, in the list of the uh, the currency manipulators. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, we know that uh, now the depreciation of the Chinese yuan it's not related to Chinese uh, intervention, not, not, right? No, that's no, a market, it's, it's market uh, performance. Yeah, that's yeah. market performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I think they will raise this issue because if you look at uh, this uh, real exchange rate, because uh, China, they have a lower inflation. Yeah, and then their right. money against the U.S. dollar, they already depreciate more, yeah, right? They, they should appreciate instead yeah. of depreciate. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think it's getting to the point where the authorities are getting concerned? They're starting to talk about it more now, aren't they? We had mm-hmm. the um, the financial news saying that basically China's got all the policy tools it needs to stabilize it. If it what it called, if there was what it called a panic um, slide, is that a sign that maybe they are starting to get concerned? I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, the the number one concern for the uh, for the central bank is really the uh, debt level uh, in China, uh, the real estate sector, and the local governments, and they are so heavily in debt that uh, 
if you take a bail uh, bail from the central government to 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 uh, solve resolve this problem. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, and and the and the unemployment situation, uh, they, well, that will demand more money <laughs> for the central government to intervene. But but they still uh, have not. Uh, come up with a grand plan to uh, rescue the economy. So uh, I, I don't think we, we can expect anything. Well, uh, Premier Li Chang was talking yesterday about a slew of targeted, comprehensive and well-coordinated measures, which he said have got to be implemented quickly mm -hmm. to stabilise growth and employment, while at the same time preventing risks. The problem was he didn't say what those measures mm -hmm. uh, might be. And we've had several government officials, haven't we, saying that, yeah. uh, uh, that there's going to be sort of stimulus, as you said earlier, Shark. People are waiting for the stimulus. Mm. What can they do? They, they seem to be at a bit of a loss, don't they, as to, as to what to do? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, it's not like Li Keqiang, uh, the previous premier, who said uh, half of uh, Chinese uh, citizens are, are, are at the poverty line. Uh, so we need the what 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 you call is the uh, uh, the what the hawker the, the street economy. People get, mm. uh, selling on the streets to alleviate. Uh, the employment situation. Maybe maybe that's what the graduates have to do now. Shark, what, what do you think is the priority? Is it the property market? Is it unemployment? What, what's the priority should be for the government? I think that definitely China needs to create enough jobs to, to rescue this economy because now the unemployment problem, especially among the youth, is a very serious problem. Uh, of course, I think uh, in terms of these uh, stimulus measures, they will continue to uh, make more uh, investment in infrastructure. That's uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. That's the very traditional way for China to stimulate mm -hmm. the economy. Uh, I always uh, expect but less effective, isn't it these days? Y yes, yes, exactly. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that they face more constraint on. Uh, at uh, local government level, because the uh, local government they already borrow too much, they yeah, cannot yes, uh, I, pay for their I, interest rate and principles. Uh, um, I I hope they can uh, find a long term solution for this uh, local government that issue. Because mm. now they, as I said, they borrow too much, and we have seen this one again and again for a few uh, rounds over the past ten years. They, they, they decide to control the debt level and then grow slow down and then they, they allow them to borrow more. So, but they must find a long time solution for that one. Uh, I think the, the Chinese economy mainly related to confidence. Mm. Okay, mm -hmm. if you uh, convince people that the Chinese uh, economy still have a very good future, uh, and then people they can start to consume again, they can start to investment again. So, but you must uh, find the the long-term solution or long-term plan to convince people accept this one. Yeah. Okay, well, fascinating discussion. Thank you both very much for coming in. Have a great weekend. You heard there Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist at BBVA, and Francis Lun, who's the CEO of Geo Securities. I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Well, a lot of focus once again on uh, central banks. Australia's central bank held its official cash rate steady this week at 4.10%. Uh, it was a, quite a closely watched decision, wasn't it, Toby? Because we had two surprise interest rate increases before uh, this month's meeting. So, so economists weren't sure if there was going to be a third one in a row. But in the end, uh, the RBA stuck. Why, why did it do that? 
Well, I think if you looked at the minutes of the previous meeting when they actually raised rate raised rates 25 basis points to 4.1%. It was a, a bit of a 50-50 call. So they were on the verge of holding the previous month. And uh, then I think they looked at the data going through and started to see some signs of a little bit of slackening in the labour market, although it's still relatively tight, um, a little bit of decline in pressure on the services side, definite decline in um, uh, on the cost push side in terms of supply in input costs. Um, so those factors were sort of emerging through the previous month. And so this month it allowed them to be a little bit um, uh, uh, more patient. Um, and to borrow a phrase that's quite relevant this week, they, they stayed in their crease uh, this <laughs> month and decided uh, not to, to step out and raise rates. Um, having said that, they were very clear that um, uh, this may not be it and uh, that there's more in, the, uh, more in the pipe depending on what they see going forward in terms of labour market productivity, unit labour costs, uh, services inflation and the, and the housing sector in particular. This seems to be a feature, doesn't it, of quite a few of the major central banks, that even if they hold, they're making it clear that we're not out of the woods yet um, and there's quite possibly more to come. Well, it's all about expectations. Uh, we've talked about a lot in, our, in the podcast, uh, almost on a weekly basis, about the concept that inflation is about expectations and getting embedded. And the risk you, you know, the central banks want to avoid is that people get used to in higher inflation. And one of the aspects of that is, you know, human behaviour. You know, if, if you can get away with a higher price and a better profit margin, you'll take it. And hence what happens is that if there's no... Um, uh, you know, aggressive move to to stop that from happening, either getting it embedded into the psyche of the of the consumer and of the producer, then you know you're going to end up with higher inflation over the long term, which is obviously damaging to the economy. So it really is. It's all about that. It's a, it's about saying, you know what, uh, you know, we we still have work to do. We still have to try to keep the pressure uh, down. Now, what you're seeing. And, and this is the concern you have when you have embedded inflation is that the input prices for a lot of producers now have come off, right? So your supply chain uh, concerns, uh, input prices coming off as, as supply improves, but that's not necessarily being fed through to price reductions to the consumer. And that's because companies can get away with restoring some profit margin, uh, which uh, they'll do if they can, and the consumer is getting used to the higher price. Um, this is something the Reserve Bank uh, and other central banks want to want to avoid, and hence the language is quite aggressive. And this is also linked, isn't it, to the jobs markets? And in fact, the central banks themselves are linking the outlook for inflation to the jobs market, because I, I presume the linkage goes along the lines that if you're still in a job um, or if you voluntarily quit your job but feel that you can easily get one back, uh, that's going to sort of make your expectations of, of you know, your spending ability much higher than it will be than if, if you were out of work. So is the jobs data, is the jobs market in, um, in Australia, is it fairly tight? It's still tight, um, and it's a good point you raise because if there's one thing that m determines expectation of consumer, it's uh, it's the likelihood of maintaining a, a job and getting paid. Um, so that is a is a critical element in in consumer expectations around inflation and around their uh, economic prospects is the labour market, and the labour market's still pretty tight. What concerns the Reserve Bank as well in Australia is that um, we've had some quite reasonable wage increases now. Um, targeted, of course, to those who need it most, who are impacted most by the higher interest rates. But um, 
often when you raise labour costs, if you don't have an equivalent or a, a mitigating impact of higher productivity, then you're going to have an inflationary impact of these wage increases. So um, at the moment, um, the Reserve Bank's concern is that we're seeing wage increases coming across, which is not unreasonable given higher inflation, but we're not getting a pickup in productivity. Mm-hmm. And that will mean that unit labour costs go up. That means inflation gets sticky and these are the issues. And then you end up with the, the sort of economic theory of wage price spiral mm. because um, companies continue to have to raise prices to pay higher wages. Um, so there's, yeah, the labour market's a key factor to consider. And we had that data out of the US overnight, which shows there the labour market even tighter. The the ADP data, which uh, surveys the private sector, uh, reported 497,000 new jobs last uh, last month, double what economists were expecting, the biggest rise in more than a year. Now, we do have later today the official US jobs data from the, uh, from the US government, and there uh, economists are forecasting jobs to drop to 200,000. They were 339,000 thousand in May. However, I should point out that economists have been wrong for 14 consecutive months now and have un- under- underestimated the jobs data. It looks like they may well be wrong again if you look at this private data. We can't be too surprised when economists get it wrong, to be honest. Uh, but nevertheless, um, you're right. And what was most significant, this was one of the busier sessions last night in terms of a reaction to economic data. This ADP figure really spooked the market. You saw the Dow move. You saw volatility, uh, as measured by the VIX, go up 9%. Um, so this is you know, quite significant, to, and it, it tells you that tonight's non-farm number is a significant one for the market to look at. Um, as you say, it's a 200,000 expectation. Um, unemployment, I think, is forecast to stay steady at 37 um, and the other factor, the, the other bit of data that's always looked at in here is the average hourly earnings, um, which we suspect, or at least is forecast, to be flat at around 0.3 on a month-to-month basis and slightly weaker on a year-on-year basis, around 4.1%. So they're the things that the market will be watching closely tonight. And what do you think overall this means for the markets? Because the Fed is making it clear, isn't it, that there's going to be more rate rises. Equity investors... <clears throat> excuse me, have been fighting the Fed all year over that. Uh, but are they starting to realise that maybe uh, the Fed means it? I'm not sure if the market is – the market's trying to look forward um, well beyond even the Fed you know, timing. So when equity investors tend to look a fair bit forward to what they see, um, and they're really up until probably in the last couple of days – felt that the Fed had, had, had been navigating quite well into a sort of soft landing, you know, um, avoiding a, a deep recession, peaking interest rates at a terminal rate just over five. Um, and I guess um, what spooked them now is that the Fed have, you know, made a fairly aggressive through the minutes and through a commentary that, you know, two to three rate hikes are still on the, on the mark. And that's probably uh, the market underestimated that. Um, having said that, I still think that they they feel that the economy can avoid a deep recession. We're having we're not seeing a huge amount of dislocation, and the conundrum of the labour market being tight despite the slowdown in economic activity is something that maybe as a lag is yet to feed through. So I suspect the market was just a bit surprised by the aggressive tone of the Fed. Um, given that they feel that the Fed has done a pretty good job up to this point of, of navigating um, higher rates without um, absolutely destroying economic activity. 
Now, I, I suppose what's also significant is what's happening in the bond markets. The, the two-year yield um, broke through 5% overnight, reached the highest level in 16 years, um, reached 5.12%. The 10-year broke through 4 basis point, uh, four four percent as well. It's at 4.08 at the high of the day. Um, this is becoming quite significant, isn't it? Because you're starting to get, first of all, yields at which, um, you know, you're better off investing in bonds than you are in stocks. But also you have to wonder at what point uh, does this start to slow the economy quite significantly? We must be getting to that point soon, surely. Well, actually, the bond market, I thought was quite, yeah, it has been fairly sanguine um, in this whole last three, last three months. Uh but uh, to your point, they moved quite sharply overnight. Um, they have been rising steadily in the last few weeks, and then I think overnight they got a 10 basis point move at the long end. Um, and as you mentioned, on the two-year, um, hitting over 5% is quite significant. Um, so, yeah, I think we're you – know, well, what is the terminal rate uh, of, of, of two-year uh, bonds? We don't know. Um, at this stage, the market – had to reprice it basis what the Fed have been saying is that if there's two to three rate hikes in two years probably had some room to go up. Um, but what I was most what I thought was most significant was the level of volatility in the market and mm-hmm. the and and the scope of the moves overnight both in equity markets and in bonds. It says the market was probably not prepared. And, and Asian markets in particular um, have taken a big hit. Well certainly here in Hong Kong the Hang Seng down three percent uh, yesterday. That's obviously because we've got to import that US uh, monetary policy. But Asian markets in general um, are feeling quite unnerved by this, aren't they? The thought of uh, at least two more rate rises from the Fed. Yeah, I think it just plays out to the idea that the market got a little bit comfortable with the with the trajectory um, and maybe thought that, that things were, were over or at least had peaked for the time being. So, yeah, I think it's just a repricing of that. And markets have had a good run. You know, June quarter was a really good one for equity markets. So uh, it's not surprising that we'll see a little bit of pullback. One exception, though, in the region, a notable exception, India, the Nifty 50, new record high for the sixth session um, in a row now. Indian stocks shaking off everything. They don't seem to be bothered about uh, the, the, the global issues. Well, the dynamics in India, you know, are really good. I think it's a real growth story. Um, you know, and you have a look at the, the data. It sort of backs it up as much as, you know, it, it might be a little bit of um, enthusiasm, you know, foreign investors coming in. I think there was, you know, something like $12 billion of inflow from FBIs uh, in the last month. It's, so there is certainly a lot of interest coming from outside, which is helping push prices and create a little bit of a momentum. But, you know, when you've got growth at 6% on average, you've got unemployment at around 77 which is pretty steady. You've got inflation below interest rates. So you've got 6.5% on rates and four and, a, four and a quarter on inflation, and that's low for Indian inflation in general. You've got a fiscal deficit at around 6.4% of GDP. Um, your PMIs, you know, uh, both in the manufacturing and services, are in the high 50s to, to low 60s, and you've got $600 billion of FX reserves. I think all of those combined tell you it's a pretty good story in India. Mm-hmm. And um, you've got a large domestic market and you've got multi-generational uh, you know, uh, growth potential through infrastructure and what have you. So all of that stability is what investors like. And India is projecting um, politically, geopolitically uh, and economically a very stable story. And that is exciting uh, investors or, or at least 
it's enticing investors to say this is a good bet um, to invest more into India relative to other Asian economies. And so hard to argue with the story, Pete, uh, when you look at those uh, indicators across the board. Uh, and, of course, uh, you, know, you have to have a long-term view, and India is not a, a linear uh, acceleration to, you know, to success, but uh, the fundamentals are there, and if it can be managed and um, they can avoid... You know, and of course, the other aspect of being on the external side, oil prices haven't really shot up, which is one of their major import of inflation. Uh, and that's one thing that's probably helped them as well. You've made a very compelling case there for investing in India. Thank you very much for that, Toby. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Simon Kavanagh, Partner at BDA Partners. Providing a view from mainland China will be Shanghai based independent economist Andy Share. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.